1: Hello
2: and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast on the Times. I'm Matt Chorley. This is the third and final episode in our Beyond the Fringe Summer Specials talk to political acts taking shows to this year's Edinburgh Fringe. Joining me for this uh, particularly packed show are Mot the Week regular Tiff Stevenson, whose show Mother delivers a biting take about the extreme sport of womanhood, Russian British comedian Konstantin Kissin, who made international headlines by refusing to sign a safe space contract for a university gig. Delivers his uncompromising take on wokeness in his debut show, All Well That Ends Well. The Mash Report, Steve. Alan's show, Be Better, takes a look at how hard it is to be better, saying that when you want to be PC, write-on or woke, it can be tough. And finally, American comic Jenna Freeman, who has worked on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, written for The Late Show with David Letterman. She celebrates free speech while she still has it in an unapologetic political hour of comedy miscarriage of justice. Blimey, welcome to you all. That was a lot. <laughs> uh, um, I'm not sure what the collective now for comics is, but we've definitely got it. So, um, A I swarm suppose,
1: of clowns.
2: A swarm of clowns. Yeah. I think that's what we we call the cabinet actually (laughs) uh, is how we describe it but the first thing I suppose we should do um, out of politeness of nothing else is get you to plug your show so uh, if you were out doing your own flying I think you're too successful <laughs> no, to be doing, be doing that. You're yeah. actually right, exactly right. Yeah. So if you're out doing your firing, um what's your pitch of why someone should come and see your show? I'll start with you, Constantine.
3: Well, it's the contract that you talked about. So I was asked to sign a contract which said that they have a zero tolerance policy on racism, sexism, classism, ageism, ableism, homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, xenophobia, Islamophobia... <sighs> anti-religion anti-atheism and it said that all jokes must be respectful and kind uh so if you've seen that come and see the show if you're interested in kind of my response to that and your response was that you didn't like that. yeah well yeah. i just no, <laughs> yeah
2: pretty much and, and, and the story is i signed it and all was well no not
3: quite i mean the thing is when i turned it down it was actually became like you said it became a big story uh, another comedian went on the radio and called me a nazi for turning down this contract which was great because i've now got a niche uh, <laughs> I'm the only Jewish Nazi comedian in the world. Turning, uh, you know, I've got all the skinhead synagogue gigs to myself, which is great. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm talking about, free speech, and I've kind of lo- used it as an opportunity to look at what else has been happening in this country uh, in terms of free speech and contrast uh, that with coming from the Soviet Union where I grew up and what we had with free speech and kind of the direction we're going in. Tiff, what about you?
1: The show's called Mother, and I am going to squat and, and deliver a show about... <laughs> <laughs> the extreme sport of womanhood. Uh, yeah, as you said, it's about reproductive rights. It's about choice. It's, yeah, about class and expectations. I guess I talk at the beginning about, you know, something that happened to me when I was 17 and um, and what the expectations of my life and my career were going to be and how I tried to uh, rail against those, really. But obviously classism and gender come into play within that. And it does contain Ben Fogle, Jordan Peterson, uh, Meghan Markle, Cardi B, well, all the all, greats. They're all on
2: stage with you.
1: <laughs> they're all on stage with me in many ways. No, I think I'm i am sort of, I've begun to realise that I think my cat might be a men's rights activist. So I <laughs> talk a little bit about that. I think he's been fully red-pilled. Uh, so, And also, actually, one of the big threads is about being a stepmother and what the idea of mother means, because it's a very loaded term. You know, a lot of people see it as an adjective and I see it more as a verb, as in mothering to mother and... Uh, I've mothered, like, nine Edinburgh Fringe shows at this point. They're my children. You know, I'm showing those to the world saying, love them, love them. Um, But also, I'm a a stepmother, and uh, so I'm sort of pulling apart that idea that we're all evil and, um, you know, Lady Tremaine from Cinderella. So it's, it's about ideas of womanhood and, you know, yeah. That would be a very long flying session. Yeah. Just just as someone's going fast. Uh, but gonna, I don't fly gonna, you're gonna in need my own show. to cut it down for the
2: Royal Mile, I think. Well,
1: yeah. I don't I don't fly on my own yeah. show because I can't I never have even before like I was known enough to do it because I can't handle that rejection. Before my show, <laughs> I need confidence going in and people when they take flyers, what will happen is one person will say no and then the next 10 will say no and that's pretty devastating to uh, yeah, so I can't do that myself.
2: Steve, you will be out flying.
4: Definitely. So what's your pitch? Uh, it, well, the show's called Better Than and I, I, I think it comes from my inner niceness and I think it's time to spread it. For some reason, um, society's gone the other way. We're now the worst version of ourselves. I truly believe we know the right thing to do. That's my positive spin on this. But for some reason, we've never been more skilled at finding reasons not to. Mm-hmm. Whether you uh, just you know, think someone else is going to do something worse, whether you've put yourself in a position where you get to, well, they did this, so I get to do this. Uh, I analyse all the different ways that I think we could... I'm not aiming to be like the best kind of person. I just think if we're all trying to be slightly better than the worst kind of person, it would be a step in the right direction that we need. I can't understand how it got to the stage in society where people fall out about a trade deal and that moves on to death threats. It never used to be like that. It just, there would only
2: be a few people who cared about trade deals well, in it, the, I past. Think the Yeah, I think the key point is nobody would have fallen out about a trade deal in the first place. Yeah. The world's gone mad.
4: It, yeah, exactly. The world's gone bad, and I do try I try and say, like, you, even the people who are on Twitter who had given me the death threats, uh, which I, I've had some lovely death threats, by the way.
1: Oh, so have I. Yeah, share.
4: Um, there was a, a guy in New Zealand, which is I you know, at least he's, I've got a head start, you know, right. I've got a while. Um, he 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 went crazy at me, Nicole Kidman, and Tim Curry. And my, <laughs> thi- my theory is, I mean, what a great list of be in. He's, he clearly misunderstood at who I am. At the same time? Yeah. In one and it was a lot of death threats and my theory is he's going to kill Nicole Kidman first because it's nearer and that's going to make the headline so if I see that on the headline I'll go underground for a while so I'm fine with it really
1: <laughs> um, yeah
4: and it's, and it is just because I might have said something that was slightly against Brexit which I guess he cherished or, or against the right it's more likely to be that seeing as he was in New Zealand but instead of being oh I disagree with you it's oh then you must die and we know that's not the right way to be, don't we? I'm going to slowly convince audiences of that one night at a time. Very good. And finally, Jenna, what's your pitch for your show?
5: It's a comedic meditation on the rise of fascism in America and uh, around the world, as well uh, as trying to understand how social media is hurting democracy, Twitter trolls, Twitter uh, America's obsession with true crime and dead women, and how we carve a path forward.
2: Wow, I can't think that of all of you—it's all quite heavy stuff. Your shows are funny, aren't they? Of
1: course they are. <laughs> How dare you're you? You're dealing with,
2: you're all dealing with quite heavy, serious stuff.
1: Yeah, but that's where the interesting, well, for me, that's where the interesting stuff is in comedy. I mean, there's, it's great. There's lots of comedians who do one-liners and they go out and they do that and it's great, but that's not what interests me. I, I want to be challenged. I want to think. I want to see a worldview, you know, and, and, I, and I think with everything that's going on politically at the moment, it's kind of, I feel like you have to say something. I, you what, know, but that's just me.
2: What's interesting, and this is this is total accident in the um, my expert booking, but it's interesting that you are all doing political shows, but it's not Donald Trump's a nightmare, Boris Johnson's a wally, Jeremy... You know, it's not a political show in the sort of traditional sense of sending up the people who are running the country.
3: But that's been done by everybody for the last three years. Trump's an idiot, Boris Johnson's an idiot. It, it's getting boring. I don't think anyone really would want to see that.
4: And also, that if, if you say that, then the people who agree with you will, will agree with you. Well done, you're preaching to the choir. The people who don't agree with you straight away, will, you know, will send death threats. To <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but to take that step back and analyse the, wait a minute, why do we all have to upsell each other to the furthest extreme of whichever side we're on, then hopefully, you know, the middle ground might get some people in it.
1: I, I feel like it's one of those... Um, but, I mean, you can talk about those things, but I do think politics isn't just in... Uh, lambasting politicians, there's socio-political, you know, you know, that's how I try and do it. I like to be personal, political and socio-political if I'm getting it right. So I think you're doing a very personal version as well. I think we can all be doing our personal take. um, And I quite like, enjoy doing a micro, talking about micro things that happened to me and then looking at the macro to see what that means. There's a story in my show about a, a woman being refused a coffee at Starbucks, which sure went viral, a pregnant woman. And that is my exploration of sort of how that story was received when it happened says quite a lot about how we see women in society, I believe, you know. So uh, it's they can be political without necessarily going, we're going to do satire, we're going to do private eye, just relentless jokes about politicians and their hair and how they look, you know.
2: Jenna, how much do you need to change your act from doing it in the US to doing it in the UK? Or or do you think the themes, and because everyone... In the UK, following what's going on in American politics. Part of it is the
5: the fact of just globalization and then a lot of American references hold up. But also what's happening in this moment is that liberal democracies are being threatened around the world. Uh, More people are similar than we are different. I think the majority of people um, want uh, clean water and access to health care and other people around them to be comfortable. But... uh, Globally, you know, as we've seen what's happened with the Kremlin interfering with Brexit and the 2016 election and other elections around the world, um, we're just in this really scary moment where uh, people with a lot of money and power are trying to pull the rest of us apart and make things more political than they need to be. And so I think that, um, A, the show very much translates because all the themes are very universal. And B, comedians, whatever side of the spectrum you're on, you're still... It, you're still exercising democracy while, by talking to other people who maybe disagree with you. And I think it's really an important exercise for all of us right now. Because even somebody on the far right, as long as they're not like a Russian oligarch. Russians know,
3: are really getting the beating here.
5: A Kremlin <laughs> oligarch. Uh, you know, it's not Russian. The Russian people are not Vladimir Putin. And I'm sorry uh, if I offended you. I'm just kidding. You.
3: Uh,
5: <laughs> <laughs> Snowflake. <laughs> you're
3: so offended.
5: But I just think <laughs> having...
3: Like to sign a contract? <laughs> sorry,
5: <laughs> oh, can I just say on
3: <laughs> I'll let you finish, but...
5: You will let me finish? Yeah. Okay. Um, I think us all having conversations is really helpful. And, and having punchlines helps people swallow ideas that you're trying to feed them.
3: Yeah, I agree. Can I just take issue with this idea that the Russians are responsible for Brexit? I mean, if we were responsible for Brexit, Brexit would be done. I'm not saying?
5: saying the Russians, but there was evidence that the Kremlin interfered with disinformation campaigns. That's all I'm saying. And that is well documented.
2: Good. Well, let's not get, let's not try and rerun the 2016 uh, campaign. What's the reaction like when you're doing shows like this? Because obviously, you're right, if you're doing straightforward gags and, you know, not quite mother-in-law stuff, but, you know, unexpected item in the bagging area type material, <laughs> you're, you know, people laugh or they don't laugh, and you might get a heckler, but all they're going to really say is, oh, you're rubbish. Do you get sort of audience interaction and people getting cross?
1: I think everyone here... I think everyone here's probably had death threats. <laughs> I just realised that... I mean, that's the state... Don't even that's, invoke that's, it. Uh, yeah. It's so, I mean... But, but... but have you've you? not... I have
3: haven't. No, I don't no. think I have. You've been okay. called an uh, uh, Yeah, you've I've been, been called, called a naughty, but... No, it's you subscribe. haven't lived
5: until you've got... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure <laughs> I it's coming. of... Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. That's
3: when I've made it, really, isn't uh,
1: it? I think... Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's that kind of level of... Dis- we can't have polite discourse now. It's kind of reached a, a sort of fever a sort of fever pitch. So... I, hopefully, you know, any show is not about preaching to the converted, it's about, because I've done shows, that my bombshell show, I was I kind of spoke a little bit about the left eating itself as a left wing person, and examining the problems within that, and then I had people come up who were, like, sort of conservative voters and stuff afterwards, kind of going, oh, I don't necessarily agree with you and everything, but... I was really interested in your take. So you you want to sort of reach, you know, across the lines, really, across the, you know, and try and get as wide an audience as you can.
2: Do any of you get sort of bad reactions during the show? Does it turn into question time because you're...
5: Any time it does, you can diffuse it with laughter and conversation, and that's the beauty of live performance. On Twitter, it's so tricky because you have you know, X amount of characters that you can get an idea out and then people just attack to boost their own profile or to start shit. But I think, like, that's the power of of live performance and having those conversations in a peaceful way in the room. I've definitely had uh, Trump supporters in the room and people who are, like, fringe left in the room kind of, like, I've had hecklers and then you just kind of, because you are used to it, you can diffuse it with comedy and then um, move on in a funny way.
2: What about you, Steve? What's the reaction in the room like for your show?
4: I, I tend to not get um, angry disagreement in the room, which, again, is really interesting how, you're, you're right, on social media people go straight to the hate, whereas in the room it's different. I think part of that, if I'm brutally honest, because I'm a little bit sly with the way in which I would frame things, it, I was helped by the fact that I used to work in radio and the group that I worked for used to send us on these NLP courses. And as much as it is probably all made up, there is some... Some lesson you learn about phrasing a sentence in a certain way where you can spot the jutty outy bits that people would push back against and instead have something that they 'll listen to and then maybe get that you know maybe chew away on that point to get it so instead of saying like you know i d- you 're wrong about this as soon as you hit the wrong word, then someone 's going to be defensive. How dare you say this about me yeah. when you 've done and all of a sudden you 're not talking about that first wrong you 've moved it on. To you know the the other part of the argument. Whereas if you can get something in and say like I totally understand why you think this, and rather than but extra explanation about it, and people go oh no actually I see your point now. So I I think I convince people you're, you're like a, some wizard. I was going to
1: say he's I've just <laughs> now you're speaking you do sound like Paul McKenna.
4: Why? Well, and I've got, the, got the
2: same got hairdo. Yeah,
1: yeah, great. yeah, I think NLP great.
2: So you are you're, you're brainwashing people without them even realizing yes. you're just being nicer people. Definitely. That, well, mean, what's goal? it's hardly
3: evil genius, that, exactly. It? I want to, I'm using it's it. not interfering
2: <laughs> with the referendum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. What
3: about you cosid you? Well, it's like what Jenna said, I think if you have a joke behind what you're saying and it's a joke that's going to diffuse that tension then you can pretty much say anything as long as you've got a way of backing that up. So I haven't really had I, I mean I feel like I'm saying what the vast majority of normal people are thinking um, and I haven't really had anyone take issue with it. That was the one of the interesting things that came out of that contract is a lot of people assumed that I turned it down because I'm some evil you know edge lord, and I'm, I'm actually quite you know moderate in the comedy that I do very much in the centre I would say
2: excellent well in a moment I want to get on and talk about more broadly about the state of free speech both in the UK and in America we'll be back after this short break
0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to the Red Box podcast with me, Matt Jolly. Right, let's move on more broadly then. And let's touch on this, this question of free speech. Obviously, Constantine, you didn't want to sign the contract. Mm. But could you understand why you were being asked to sign it? Are there limits to what you can and can't say in comedy?
3: Could I understand? Yes. if And, and actually, broadly speaking, I, I don't have a problem with comedy shows that have rules about what you can and can't say. I think that's fine. What I saw it as is a broader expression of what's happening in society, which is universities are increasingly being taken over by this way of thinking. And that's why I turned it down. It was much more about a matter of principle. But in terms of the where I've taken it with my show, I, I did the research on what's happening in this country. I'm curious if anyone knows how many people were arrested in Britain last year for things that they said on social media any guesses I'm i say, imagine there m- were quite a few i was going to say not many but, but I, th- I, th- I imagine were quite- like, it's like so for context or? just for context in russia it was 400 people last year where i'm from right so how many do you think in britain
1: i think it's probably higher
4: yeah steve yeah the arrested for things they said on yeah, social, social media. media so that's going to include like stalking and those kind of issues yeah i'm going to go higher than 400
3: yeah
5: how many journalists were killed in Russia versus yeah, Russia is the Britain.
4: most
3: dangerous place to be in the world if you're a journalist. Absolutely, it's not a war. Uh, so three thousand three hundred people were arrested oh, yeah. in Britain last year for things they said on social media, and a lot of it is obviously, as you say, Steve, is people who are being harassed. But mm-hmm. but it's not for stalking. They're literally being arrested for saying something, uh, and a lot of those people. Actually, there was this girl in Liverpool called Chelsea Russell who posted uh, the lyrics of her friend's favorite song on her Instagram. The song contained two instances of the N-word or whatever, and she became a hate criminal, prosecuted, convicted, fined, and for years, she was a hate criminal tagged for posting that song on her Instagram. Uh, and there, there are lots of other examples of people of various degrees of edginess who've been arrested for things that they say on social media. I've had the police, there was a guy who retweeted some limerick that somebody said was transphobic. And he had the police call him up and go, we need to make sure to check your thinking right so
2: that's where we are with free speech isn't the counter maybe maybe it goes back to steve's point about being better that people know that the n-word is offensive so don't put it on social media
3: but she's not like she posted the n-word she posted the lyrics of a song produced by a black artist it's
2: still you know the context is still different isn't it is if you've you know it's offensive so don't put it on social media be be better I'm sorry, I'm just plugging yes. your show. Yes. So, <laughs> so,
3: you. so every so every radio show that plays that she... song, then they're there.
1: Well, they they're... bleep the word out; they won't. Not no no necessarily a commercial radio. That station. song will be
3: available yeah. on YouTube, but not bleeped out, right? So right. should YouTube be prosecuted for a hate crime?
2: Well, that comes to a wider point about which uh, newspapers are constantly complaining about about why Facebook and YouTube aren't treated as publishers and Twitter. Yeah. you know they mm. they are hosting. You know, if somebody posts something on a t- uh, story on the Times website. We are responsible, you know. We are hosting that, and we are potentially responsible for that.
1: But there's a huge. I mean, this is all of the bit that is that that is, you know, being debated currently, isn't it? Which is the we have freedom of speech, and then people also have the right to challenge what people are saying. And then within that, there's this area where we where we have to decide where is is the line, when is it free speech, and when is it hate speech? When is it seen as inciting violence and inciting hatred? And hate
5: speech does. I mean, Donald Trump, uh, whenever he has a rally in uh, America, in the county where he has the rally, hate crimes actually increase 226 percent. This was in The Washington Post. So it is that question of free speech versus hate speech. Where do you draw the line? Um, The whole thing about like universities being snowflakes or whatever. I I mean, it's an interesting conversation, but it's also like paid speech. Which So like if you're getting paid to speak somewhere, like that place might have parameters and you don't have to speak there. But that's not necessarily free speech. If you're talking into a microphone for free on that campus and they arrest you, that's a problem. YouTube, Facebook, um, Twitter are very much complicit and very much should be held accountable for violence that they're propagating. And and we talk about free speech, but a lot of the speech is is fake news or misinformation or racism and that that isn't free speech like we're in this current moment where the internet is really a game changer and we don't know how to deal with it and you know democracies are being threatened people are being threatened and people are being killed as a result
2: do you think the issue is that in the past social norms sort of controlled this that leading political figures didn't incite hatred or Violence, or tell people to go back home, or whatever, and so you know. You can think of
5: the, some who did. The
2: national, <laughs> but, the, <laughs> exactly, but, the, but the the social norms and the national tone was that that was not acceptable, and, and because at the moment the social norms have gone, that people aren't being better. That, that that's why people immediately reach for laws, which then becomes a problem because laws have to be sort of set down in text but, and black and white but, in a way that social norms are more flexible.
3: Well, you see, this is another myth about free speech. In Nazi Germany, which Germany just brought up, they they had hate speech laws. And that's one of the things that they made the Nazis celebrities in their own time. They they were able to say, look, we're being oppressed. Our speech is being, speech is being suppressed. Therefore, we have something of value to say. And a lot of people flocked to them because they were being arrested and put in prison for things that they said. Hate. I mean, free speech is the is the kryptonite of fascism. It's the kryptonite. It, it it's the way that you challenge these bad ideas is you speak against them. Uh, whereas if you try and keep them underground, they will fester.
4: And that's that's the problem. The difference between social norms, which everyone wants to be part of the big group. No, you know, one of our. Primal fears is being an outsider. Just probably, you know, you'd die if you weren't part of whichever mm. group you were. Um, but the difference is, if you can make yourself the victim, which, by the sounds of it, you, you're saying effectively that's what uh, the Nazis did. If you, right, you get your three roles: you get your persecutor, saviour, and victim. And in the old days, everyone wanted to be the saviour. It seems like the best one, doesn't it? But now, if you can, if you can sell yourself as the victim when you are clearly not, and in the show, I clearly rant about Trump and this, you know, this billionaire son of a billionaire. You're lucky as hell already. How are you the victim of anything? No, but the press is mean me and as soon as you can put yourself as a victim then you can do all the bad things and go either well they started it or it's not as bad as they're doing or poor me i'm not allowed to say whatever i want and that is where i do worry slightly you know i agree with it being illegal to say offensive things but as soon as you can then let that be the seed that people push back against oh we're being controlled let's go on social media form some other kind of hate group and push back well
2: especially tommy robinson is just a professional victim that's his whole shtick is I mean, making up that he can't say and do this stuff, and you know, yeah. he just broke the law, but that's his whole shtick. Is-
3: and that's yeah. why he has yeah. such a massive following now. This, this, the, the number of people who support Tommy Robinson in this country is scary to me, and the reason that he has that support is he's made himself a victim, and the reason he's made himself a victim is that, I mean, his speech is being restricted. If he was just saying this on a, on a street corner, no one would care.
4: And, it, yeah, we always seem to confuse the right to free speech with the right to be heard you can say whatever you want, but you got no. Ne- you don't necessarily have a right to to turn up to these events everyone, or places.
1: Everyone thinks they do have the right to be heard yeah. now because of the internet, because of things like Twitter. Everyone thinks that their voices of equal. You know, mm. I mean, and that's you know, we, we, we've got a line between elected people and then you know comedians. I mean, we saw that with the with the UKIP politician, right? With the Joe Kendall situation where he was sort of saying I'm trying to bring comedy back in and you're like well you're a politician and that's a clear I mean I think when we look at all of these things we look and go are they a professional comedian (laughs) are they someone who does this for a living then maybe we should look and go these are jokes Yeah. but also we are in an age where I feel like it's, I think it's really important for a civilised society to look inward and examine your unconscious biases. I think that's really, really important. However, not doing that and just pointing the finger at everyone else is what will undo society. So a lot of the time it's, you know, we all want to be on the right side of history, but throwing someone else under the bus doesn't mean you get to get on it, I think is, is, is the way I sort of phrase it, you know. So there's we're very busy pointing fingers, not as busy looking inwards to mm. examine Our behavior and how that can, and I mean, that's probably a bit of what your show's about Mm. this year, right?
4: Yeah, if if people actually did the better version of themselves, suddenly society would be better.
1: I
5: don't, I don't know if everybody wants to be the good guy, and you know, I I just am looking at our country, and I think we, I think people who are progressive or open-minded underestimate. people who maybe want to be the bad guy. But and
4: everyone wants to be the good guy in their own story. Everyone's the hero of their own...
5: I think a situation. lot of... I think Michael Cohen and a lot of Trump's, like, cronies want to be, like, uh, the guy in Scarface, like, or whatever. <laughs> like, I, I'm not even kidding. Like, you just look at what's happening, like, in our country specifically. It's really scary, and I think... I think the pro- part of the problem, like, A, obviously we need to listen to each other and try to find commonalities among even people we disagree with if we can. But I also think, the, like, the left, quote-unquote, really underestimates, like, the, the forces at play, like, in power on the other side trying to really divide us. And, and, and in a way where, you know, I think we must be kind and peaceful, but, like... Free. Sp- I'm ranting now, but the thing about free speech too is so interesting because it's like, is Fox News free speech? Is propaganda free speech? It's clearly not, but like under one banner, it could be interpreted as that. So,
3: well, sorry, how do you mean f- Fox News is not free speech?
5: Because they're lying. There's okay. like propaganda. So
3: you think that it should be illegal to say things that you think aren't I true? I think
5: if people get censored for saying fuck on TV, they should get censored for inciting violence, inciting racism, and lying.
3: Or inciting violence and saying something that isn't true are not the same thing, right?
5: Well, inciting violence, uh, I mean, yeah, it can be the same thing. If you say that somebody is born in a certain country and then they're invading... That is inciting violence and it's a lie. Right, but not. you
3: just said about them lying. You said that what they say isn't true according to you. It's also,
1: there are So many, it should be
3: legal in your opinion. So Fox News should be shut down. No,
1: I, no That's not what she's saying.
3: I, no, I'm asking. I'm just... No, I, I, I didn't, mean, like, maybe I can, misunderstood.
5: I would like Fox News to be shut down because they're, <laughs> a, like, state-sponsored propaganda at this point. Just like I would like RT to get, <laughs> not be in our country. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I can give you a talking point that you can turn around and, like, make a bigger issue, but I, I do think... When you have a, a news outlet that is that is making people angry using fake information, it's very dangerous like for CNN. progressive liberal societies.
3: That's what CNN's doing. The Jussie Smollett hoax, the MAGA kids with their hats, they're doing the same thing, right? Yes. So should we shut them down when, when there's a, a Conservative president? There,
1: do need, there does need to be consequences for lying, though, in order to uh, affect... Across a... the board. Okay. Right, I, well,
5: I agree with that.
3: Right, that. Right, I agree it's with that. It's very
5: hard to legislate that, but I think we yeah. should be having conversations, with, you know... Well, you can lie on
1: the side of a bus and become Prime Minister. That's what we're dealing with now. <laughs> <laughs> you can lie on the side of a bus.
5: Let's
2: try and end on a slightly more positive note. Are we on a sort of never-ending spiral of doom... Or is there something that can be done to try and turn this around?
3: Our shows are going to change all that and fix it.
5: Uh, We're not in a worse moment. We're just in a... You know, it's been worse before, particularly for, you know... uh Women in other times and places, it's still really bad for women in a lot of places in the world, but I don't think it's that much worse now than it has been in the past. I just think with social media and technology, we're having this kind of reordering right now, and we're trying to figure out how to adjust to it. And when lies can be disseminated at a greater pace uh, and to more people, how do you deal with that to make, to make less harm for people?
4: I'm optimistic. I think the, the arc of history tends to walk in the right direction for the people who are progressive. It's a bit like in a film where there's two people handcuffed to each other jumping off a train or something like that. And if you're just going to fight with a person you're handcuffed to, it's going to be slower to get wherever you want to go. Whereas if you realise you're not, you're not necessarily going to see eye to eye on everything, but if you can just find the way to coax rather than push, then we might move along that curve a bit quicker. Or maybe I'm just too much of an optimist. <laughs>
1: Oh, what do I think? Um, (laughs) Okay, I think... I sort of have a a sort of hope that people will learn to examine their biases a bit more and then try to overcome that by, like, listening to other points of view and that we can sort of move forward, I guess. Less finger-pointing, more discussions, more uh, open debate and discussion. I mean... I turned down an event for The Economist recently because Steve Bannon was on. So part of me was like, okay, I stand by that because I don't agree with Bannon and I, I don't think he should still be, be given a platform on something like this. But then the flip side of that was my voice didn't get to be heard. So his ideas went out and they went out. I don't know if they were challenged by the The Economist is very much on the kind of free speech side of things but i didn't get heard so i just i i feel like i have like a kind of hope that we that that all of us can look inward a bit that was my hope after me too as well that i think lots of men sort of examined their behavior and went have i always been the best version of myself have i thought about what this is like for the other person you know even just in small ways so i think that if we if you know like steve kind of says i'm i'm sort of Broadly hopeful that with a little bit of inward looking we can push things forward.
2: Very good. Well, that's a nice optimistic note to end on. But before we do that, when are you all on? What time? What venue? How can people come and see your shows? Jenna?
5: Assembly Room
1: 5, 9.20pm.
4: Perfect. Steve? The uh, Stand 2, 8.50pm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Monkey, <laughs> uh, Monkey Barrel, Monkey Barrel, 9.15pm.
3: Excellent. And awesome. I went to Kilded Balloon at 7pm.
2: Very good. All touching on similar things, but all very different shows. My huge thanks to uh, all of our guests. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, whether you listen. And we'll be back with more episodes as the summer progresses. For me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye.